Hello and welcome to episode one of Mountain Mindset. My name is Andre Manzuk and I'm a mental performance coach, professor of sports science, and the founder of MZK Performance. This is a project that I've been excitedly working on for a while now. Over the last decade, I've been lucky to learn from some of the best coaches and athletes around, and I'm so stoked to share those insights with you. In the coming interviews, we'll be exploring and understanding how elite outdoor pursuit athletes, coaches, and adventurers make sense to the world around them and use what's going on in their heads to ensure success, no matter what the challenge. This week, I'm honored to be joined by Matt Chapman. Matt is a husband, a father, and a performance climbing coach based in Toronto, Ontario, and it will become apparent during our conversation why I listed those in that order. Matt has a diverse background as both an athlete and an educator, and our conversation dances back and forth between sports psychology and philosophy, as Matt offers invaluable insights into succeeding not only as a climber, but in life itself. I'm so thankful for Matt's openness in sharing his experiences, and believe that any athlete or coach has so much to learn from his wealth of knowledge. On that note, let's dive into our conversation. Matt, thank you for joining us. Okay, so to Thanks. kick us off. Thanks for having me. What's something that... Uh, What's something we might not know about you? Oh boy. Um, well, we were just talking about my hobbies. Uh, I, pro I, pro I think probably most people don't know that I, I'm, I'm pretty fanatical about my hobbies. Uh, I have a lot of them. Um, but maybe the most significant one that, that people don't know about is that I write. I do a lot of writing. It's been a passion of mine since I was a kid. And um, yeah, I write short stories, uh, kind of sort of dark existential ontological sort of craziness <laughs> that uh just for me i do it for me i love it but um you know f encouragement from my family and friends uh i'm gonna try and uh no I i'm going to publish uh, this year a collection of short stories so that's gonna be that's gonna be a thing that happens um but that's one of my favorite hobbies that's fascinating it's, it's very different from my yeah it's very different <laughs> from my professional coaching persona that you that people see online you know it's it's, it's you know it's, it's definitely a darker, more severe, twisted side of my personality, but, uh, but I love it. And that variety must be, uh, must be a nice break for you. It is, man. I, I enjoy being interested in a lot of different things. Um, I really do. So it keeps me, uh, it keeps me engaged. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about your, pro your professional coaching persona, if you reflect on your career to date, are there any memories that really stand out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. I would have, I would have a lot of, uh, things that stand out I, as a teacher. I mean, as an educator, I have stories I could keep you uh, entertained for hours, but, um, but I think speaking, speaking career wise, like as a coach, um, one in particular that I thought about was, um, a time when we, uh, Indiana and I, my daughter, um, she climbs for team Canada. Uh, we were in uh, Russia in 2018 at the youth world championships. And um, so there was a moment when she came out and uh, this was in the semifinal round. Uh, she was on boulder number four, I think it was. Um, I actually have a link to the YouTube, <clears throat> uh, the YouTube video of, of this comp. So I can send it to you if you want. Yeah, I'll be sure to put um, it on the show notes. Okay, cool. So um, 
and I have the time codes and stuff of when she came on, but uh, it would be interesting to see because um, the fourth boulder, she comes out of the semifinals and it was a slab climb. Now slab, it's really important to know that like at this time, like Indiana was a slab specialist. I mean, she still is, but we've been training since 2018 on all of her other, you know, the elements of her game. So um, she's, she's more and more well-rounded every day, but but back then, slab was her thing. So she came out, slab problem, and immediately she thinks, and I think as her coach on the sidelines, I'm thinking, easy, we got this, right? But for whatever reason, she couldn't do the first move. So, um, you know, it was a really tricky move. It required a lot of really precise body movement. And um, it was very really doable for her, but she just wasn't able to do it for whatever reason. So up until that point, uh, we had been doing a lot of talking about uh, the psychological reset right like um what is it what does it mean to to begin to uh feel that growing frustration when you are falling off of a boulder and the time is you know ticking down and you're you're just feeling like you're about to unravel and it's a really terrible feeling um especially in climbing you know you you prepare all year for these major comps and you train so hard indiana trains full-time and um and then you get there and you've got four minutes or five minutes whatever the round is and just things start to go wrong and you feel like you really are starting to unravel. And it's, uh, it's kind of like water going down a drain, you know, it's like this terrible feeling of how do you get back out of this? And so we've been talking about the psychological reset and the, and the concept is, is that um, you turn around. So you actually turn your back to the boulder and you face the audience again, just like you did when, you know, uh, when you step out for the first time and you, you begin to reset your mind um, you begin to convince yourself, essentially it's lying to yourself that you, that you're going to face the boulder for the first time. So like in two seconds, you're going to turn around and you're going to face the boulder for the very first time. And, um, and you basically, you, it resets your mind, but also resets your body because you begin to feel like confident again, and you begin to feel ready. Like you're coming out to flash this boulder. And, uh, and obviously there's a big difference between doing this in theory, right. And doing it in practice. But, uh, but here we were, uh, 2018 Youth World Championships, and Indy's getting wrecked on this boulder. Um, and you can see uh, the camera was actually uh, on the other climber, but you can see her in the bottom corner. She turns around and she faces the audience. And I knew immediately what she was doing. Um, she closes her eyes, it only lasts for a couple seconds. And then she chalks up and she turns around and she previews the boulder, just like she did it at first, right? When, she, when you first come out. Um, and, uh, and then she sent it easily. It was crazy. She just walked up it. Um, and I, I don't remember the exact score, but I think it gave her like three tops, uh, three tops and four zones or something like that. And that put her in first place at that point. And uh, even the commentator, I remember watching the live stream afterwards with her to sort of figure out what went wrong. And the commentator was like, oh, well, Indiana made that boulder look really easy. Um, and, and Andy told me it was super easy. But the mental sort of gym gymnastics that took place you know what i mean or the mental bouldering whatever the mental gymnastics that needed to take place in order for her to do that that's not easy you know that was that was an enormous accomplishment and as a coach you know when you ask about about things that stood out um i, I love to see my athletes perform physically i i really love to see them overcome you know uh, whatever little injuries or tweaks and do something amazing on the wall but mental victories for me are are way more satisfying. Yeah, it sounds like that must have been such a, a validating experience for both you and for yeah. Indiana. 
yeah, it's huge to see what you've been training, like come to fruition and become a thing uh, on the competition floor because, um, you know, that's why we're doing it. That's why we're training. But, you know, when you're an athlete, especially as a climber, you're facing these things alone. You know, you're facing the wall alone. It's hard to pull all of your tools, you know, and put them all into play. But uh, when it happens, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that final connection. It's one thing having a tool in your toolkit, and it's another thing knowing kind of how and when to how and when to make use of mm -hmm. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've had a you've had a pretty storied climbing coaching career to date, and what I'm curious about is, were there any challenges along the way? Kind of how did they affect you at a time, and then even like looking back in hindsight, what effect have they had on your your career or, or yourself? Yeah, I, that's a, you know, that's a really good question because the, I think, you know, the, the road to becoming anything is, is, uh, the story of, of facing challenges. Right. So, um, I mean, as a coach or as a, as an athlete myself, I faced a lot of stuff, but it, it's almost like, I don't want to talk about it just because it, I don't know if it ends anywhere good. Um, but there's a, there's a bigger story that's connected to it. So for example, like I, I've had a ton of injuries that sort of, um, really bad injuries that, that ended my competitive status at whatever sport. So I was a, a long distance competitive runner for a long time and my knees, just really bad injuries ended that. Uh, and then I, uh, I was a jiu-jitsu fighter for a long time. That was a huge passion of mine and a really bad lower back injury ended that weightlifting and things like that. So, um, so those are some of the sort of more significant challenges that I faced over the years. Uh, but it gave me a lot of time to think about like, what does it mean to face challenges? And uh, I was thinking of an analogy, um, which was, uh, which is my marriage. Okay, so I've been with my wife Blaze for 27 years. We're actually coming up to our 25th uh, wedding anniversary. Congratulations! Uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Um, and I can honestly say that, like today, we are we are happier at, than we were in the beginning, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. But um, like after 25 years of marriage. Uh, for sure, we are we are happier and our relationship is stronger now than it was in the beginning. And that's not to say that the beginning wasn't awesome because we were young and, yeah. you know, uh, we were love crazy and, and all that stuff, but, uh, but it's definitely better now. And the point is, is that that's not easy. You know, many times I had to really wage war against, uh, you know, my instinct to throw in the towel. Um, I had to face you know, weaknesses and shortcomings and, 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 you know, push myself to choose love and togetherness over whatever my selfish desires were at the time or, or my fears or insecurities. Um, and my wife had to do the same, you know, like she had to choose togetherness with a guy who wasn't so easy to live with. Right. Um, and she did that time and time again, because we told each other this relationship matters, right? We told each other, like, this is worth fighting for. And I bring this up to say that, like, I think we all need to make this decision at some point, right? Like uh, about some aspect in our lives. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a relationship. It's a career. Um, you know, if you if you love something, then it's worth then it's worth training for. It's worth fighting for, and it's worth training for. And I think that training is really about preparing yourself for times of testing, because um, there's always going to be times of testing. It doesn't really matter what you know what you what you do. Adversity's coming. It doesn't matter if you're starting a business. Uh, or, or trying to, you know, keep a relationship together or, or training for, for the, for the Olympics, you know, you're going to face adversity. It's coming and training for me is fundamentally about preparing for that, 
to preparing, you know, preparing yourself to confront struggle, preparing yourself to confront, you know, discomfort and pain and even victory. I mean, that's not easy to deal with, right? Um, but you're going to have doubts along the way. And for me, training is about dealing with those things and learning to deal with those things and acquiring tools, like we were just talking about tools, uh, you know, that you can kind of just keep and deal with, uh, that you have to combat, you know, to combat adversity. And I, and I say that the most important tools that I've acquired over, over my life are, are mental tools, opposed to physical tools, right? Um, and I think the reason I value mental tools so much is because mental tools don't go away, whereas physical tools do. I thought of an example, uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, when I was younger, I could do a thousand pushups. Okay. I did a thousand pushups in an hour. This was a thing I thought it was cool. <laughs> and you know, it was super hard. Yeah. The, I mean, that's a massive physical moment. achievement. Oh, it was, it was crazy. Right. <laughs> the moment, but I did those things all the time because I thought they were like, I loved, I loved embracing pain and struggle. And I loved pushing myself to see what I could do. But that physical tool that I had, that's long gone. Like it's not coming back that tool's gone. I've exhausted that tool. I can't do it anymore. But the mental, um, the mental tool that I acquired during that time, you know, to, to understand my relationship to suffering, uh, that didn't go away, you know, that, that I still have. So, um, I think that's why I put so much value in, in accumulating that mental tool belt. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's, uh, yeah. It really speaks to how values driven uh, you are as a yeah. as a coach and an individual. Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, I really I really try to think big picture more than just the immediate thing that's in front of us. Yeah. So I think it comes across a lot in in kind of how you speak about your 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 career and your background and the work that you do. But I'm curious to get you to expand a little bit on on your mindset and what mindset you approach maybe life with uh, athletics with. Mm -hmm. And how has that changed over the years or has it changed? Oh, for sure. For sure. It's changed. I mean, yeah, I think, I think since I was a teen, I remember being very cognizant of whatever process I was in. Um, what, what is it I'm going through? And, uh, I, I just was always very thoughtful about that stuff. So, um, I remember, I remember very much what it was like when I was young and, and, you know, having, certain life views about things but as i grew um i think i've come to understand over the years that how we think about um who we are and how we think about our place in the world is really deeply connected to um how we manage ourselves in times of adversity and i keep bringing this up you know like adversity and stress because this is this is what makes life hard no matter what you're in life is easy when life is easy you know what i mean and it's really hard when it's really hard. So I keep coming back to this idea of how do we deal with stress? How do we deal with, you know, how do we manage ourselves in times of adversity? And that could be, you know, a fight with a loved one. It could also be a climbing competition. That's an enormously stressful moment, uh, you know, for, for people to face. And, um, and I think, so I think I would share that, that the good news is, um, you know, for your listeners, the good news is that when we struggle and suffer, um, no matter who you are, you feel very much alone. When we struggle, we feel like we're alone. And, and that's not the case. It's actually the opposite. Uh, you know, human beings are not so different. In fact, I think we're mostly alike, despite, you know, um, how much our culture teaches us that, you know, you love PC and I love Mac and, 
you know, that we're all individuals, I think for the most part, especially cognitively, right? Especially about how we think human beings are identical. Uh, and, I, and I can give you three examples. Um, so the first one would be like, we all worry, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, we, we worry about money. We worry about our lack of money. We worry about our relationships, our social status, you know, our online status, our, off, our offline status. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All human beings worry, right? Um, we all fantasize. You know, if, if you have to break it down to three, that's the second one. Everybody fantasize, even, even for a moment when you're lying in bed, you kind of just fantasize your own life being better. You know, we, we fantasize about becoming more famous or we or richer, you know, or fitter. Um, we play out fantasies in our head that we think will make us happier. And, uh, and we all do it. It doesn't really matter, you know, who we are. And I'd say the last thing is we judge, you know, we judge ourselves, we judge the circumstances we're in. Um, I think judging ourselves is probably the human being, you know, that's, I think it's our, it's our favorite indoor sport, you know, is self-judgment. You know, this is what we do. We stand in front of the mirror, we, you know, we loathe our, ourselves and we judge ourselves and, um, and when I came to understand these things that, that, that people were not so complex and that was easier to sort of understand how my own brain works and how my own fears and insecurities, you know, were, were affecting me. Uh, I came to realize, uh, you know, a long time ago that I was a very fundamental truth that very much changed how I behave throughout the day. Um, and, and the truth is this, I'll share it with you is, uh, no matter, no matter what we do. Okay. So whether it's some little habitual thing here, or a little bit there, but especially mentally, no matter what we do, no matter how small it is, or even seemingly insignificant, that action or that thought takes us one step closer or one step further away from who we want to become. So in other words, the little things add up until they define us. And that's a really powerful thought that uh, it's critical in sport, it's critical in life. You know, that the idea is that we are responsible for who and how we become. And it's not external circumstances. It's, it's us who is responsible for, for how, we, how we deal with things. And I would say that there's probably, um, I remember writing this down last year as, a, as just a, a summary of sort of thinking about these things for, for decades, is that there's probably only two things that we can absolutely control in this life, um, our thoughts and our behavior. And I think they happen in that order because what we think about affects how we behave. Um, so yeah, I, I would think that this is the most, you know, maybe one of the most important things to understand about sport and life is, is the power we have to choose. Yeah, it really stands out to me there, like how, how you view controllability, your, your philosophy yeah. on, on how you view the world and, and how yeah. you piece together this process driven approach. And very often we're quick to say, <laughs> trust the process but it sounds like you're you really push you know design the process or create the process more so i think i think so i mean no external circumstances are just so far out of our control and uh and that's a oh, it's like a desperate feeling you know it leaves people really anxious and and it's so key uh, especially as an athlete to understand that you can control, you know, you can't control, for example, in climbing, you can't control in a competition climbing, you can't control what the setter is going to do. You can't control what the boulder is that you're coming out to see. <laughs> um, you can't control whether or not you have a small tweak with, you know, in your finger, or if you don't feel good, or if, you know, you didn't have a good night's sleep. Um, but you can control how you respond in the moment. 
uh, you can control the narrative that you tell yourself in your head, right? Um, and that's a powerful thing that re-empowers us to face whatever. And it seems like you take a kind of a cognitive behavioral approach in a lot of ways. I, I don't know how much kind of counseling theory you've you've delved into, but the you can control your too thoughts much and for somebody who didn't go to school for it. <laughs> I nerd out on these things; it's terrible. But uh, yeah, I love it. Well, it, it clearly carries over to to really building that skill set that you have. Yeah, that's right for sure. Yeah. So, so on the theme of skill set in in mental performance, we often view. Um, it in two main areas, right? We have our mindset and we have our skill set and those kind of interact yeah. within our performance. So yeah. are there any are there any particular mental skills that either you instruct or you really value yourself um, that can help with performance or with wellness or self-care? I can think of one that does that covers all of those categories. Excuse me. Um, positivity, definitely. Um, it's such a I mean maybe maybe it's a bit cliche, but but uh, there's a, it's just, I think it's the most important skill you can have as a human being, as, a, as an athlete. Um, so in neuroscience, you know, you, you know, refers to something called the default network and it's how our brain works. And, and the idea is that um, there's a natural way that our brain goes that if we're not actively like focusing on positive ideas and practices that we naturally slip into like a self-defeating way of thinking. And especially if we don't take control of it, you know, and actively take control of, of these thoughts of our self-talk, then, then the thinking, like I said, changes the behavior and then the behavior changes our abilities. So I'll give you an example. I see this in climbing all the time. I'll see like top athletes, you know, they, they fall off of a climb and then just in their body, you know, in their, in their body movement, uh, slumping of the shoulders, shaking their head, you can see that they're playing out this narrative right in their head. They're that um, is negative and it almost immediately starts affecting their behavior and then it immediately affects their performance it's like that spiral i talked about like the water going down the drain you know like um once you start to unravel in that situation you're not coming back it's just if you don't have the mental skills you're not coming back um you know it's like talking about what indiana did with resetting you know uh, at the world championships our default psychology is negative it tends to be negative. So there, there is a way to practice, which is so empowering. Again, there's a way to practice positive narratives and positive viewpoints. And I would say that that is, that is the most important thing. I also think that the, like the training industry, like training, when I say, okay, let's go train. I think that the, the training industry is far too one-sided, you know, namely, namely on physical, um, physically becoming stronger, right? Um, that's what we spend our time doing is training to be but I, I can tell you for sure, from my experience, that it doesn't matter how many you know, push-ups or pull-ups you can do or how many hours you spend in the gym. Um, no amount of physical training is going gonna, is gonna to trump a self-sabotaging mindset, right? Like if, you, if your brain is conditioned and practiced in self-sabotage, that's it. I don't care how strong you are. You know, um, whatever you practice, you get good at. And I think a lot of us aren't aware of how often we're practicing negativity. Um, and, and to become aware of that and to take control of that, it'll change your game. I, I promise you, I've worked with athletes where, super strong athletes that uh, um, 
actually, I can tell you a quick story if you want. Yeah, um, please go ahead. Uh, I, I, I worked with a, uh, an athlete. Uh, I still do. Um, he's been with me a long time, Tosh. He's in BC. And uh, when he sort of asked me to come and work with him, uh, we hadn't done any training together. Uh, he was in this uh, just really a, kind of a slump with his climbing. And he, he asked me to, uh, to work with him. And I came out to, uh, I think it was regional championships. Uh, and, uh, and we just had a chat in ISO. <laughs> and uh, after the conversation, he went out and he put a best show on he's ever put. He, I forget what his place was. It was high. He, he did amazing. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a 20 minute conversation. I didn't train him physically in anything. All we did was reframe some of his thinking about his himself and his position in the world and his relationship with climbing and his attitude about pressure. And uh, he put on a show, man. It was it was something else. And I think that's, you know, his strength was the same as everybody else's. It's the mind that matters. It really is. Thank you for sharing that story. I like that. Um, I like that self-talk insight, right? We can reframe and we can reinforce yeah. and, and we can yeah. use it in a, I, li I like to focus on using it in a really structured way, right? We, we often view self-talk as what's happening to us rather than what we can do with it. Um, yeah, and what right. comes out to me is, is that idea of, you know, you can practice this, you can put the time and effort into making these changes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can train it. And that's what I mean by like training is one-sided. I think they're, you know, like what you're doing with working with people, working with athletes and, and helping them reframe and rethink about, you know, what it means to, to use your mind as a tool. That's, that's, in my opinion, that's more important than push-ups and pull-ups for sure. So we kind of touched on it there, but I'm curious, are there any habits that either you've developed yourself over the years or you've developed in your athletes that you found have been real game changers? And then the part two of that question is, I'm curious about how you go about forming habits when you're trying to implement new behaviors in your day-to-day. -day. Uh, so that's a tricky question. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, uh, in routines and habits for sure and they're very important but i don't think they i don't think they're very effective independently so what i mean by that is like habits and 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 routines need to exist within a framework and for me the why we do something is way more important than the how we do something so um so what i always ask my athletes is like what's the bigger goal you know what are we doing here uh when i'm coaching uh the boulder park team um you know, that's, that's what I talk about with my, with my, with my other coaches and with the owners of the gym is what is, what is the why behind what we're doing? Um, and I'll give you an example. So hundred percent, I would not be where I am today if people didn't come and rescue me, <laughs> various people rescuing me from various situations, mostly that I caused. Um, so community, friends, family, uh, this for me is what life is about, right? Um, being with others, being, um, for others, you know, I, I try to cultivate uh, teamwork. That's the thing that I focus on as the bigger thing. Um, you know, team mentality, togetherness for me is better than independence. So if you take, uh, if you take any situation, doesn't matter what it is, imagine any situation and now imagine it going bad. So it goes sideways, doesn't matter what it is. Just imagine something just goes terribly wrong. Um, if you are not alone in that situation, it's better, right? So if you're hiking, let's just pretend you're hiking in the woods and you get lost, 
you're maybe in a new country. You're in Scotland. I just watched a movie about the Scotland forest. They look amazing. So you're in Scotland, you get lost. The weather turns and it gets, you're underprepared. You haven't dressed properly. You're freezing cold. You're starving. You didn't bring food with you. And you're scared out of your mind. You, you feel like this is it. I'm in big trouble. If you're alone in that situation, that, that compounds the, the suckiness of that situation. But now take that same situation, right? You're, you're lost, you're starving, you're freezing, but you have your best friend beside you. Um, you're you're going to get through that. I mean, for sure. I, I would bet you're going to, you're going to get through it. You're going to figure out together how to get through it. When, when your friend is, is feeling weak, you're going to be strong. When you're feeling weak, they're going to be strong. You're going to carry each other. You're going to, you know, encourage each other. <clears throat> I think the human species is meant to be in community. I think that's the reason we've survived this long on the planet, right? Is because we work together. Um, and I believe very much in that. Once again, it's the only reason I'm here today is because of people in my life. Um, so I encourage, I encourage my, uh, my team, anyone I'm ever working with to, to cultivate that, to, you know, to cultivate togetherness. And, and I, and I, and I tell my, my kids, I tell my, my students, my athletes, you know, to pay attention to who you're with when you feel best about yourself. Because whoever you're with, if, if you feel good about yourself and you're with this person, this is a good person to be around, right? <laughs> and, and opposite, who are you with when you don't feel good about yourself? What kind of environment are you in when you feel terrible about yourself? You know, what is being cultivated in that situation? Um, I was just that you have to you have to get rid of that, and and you need to you need to find a community or even just one person who who is a source of love and encouragement for you. Um, and then I, I think I would just lastly say that that from an individual perspective, I, I also want to ask myself, like, who do I want to be in a social situation? Do I do I want to be the type of person that others want to be with because they see me as someone who is encouraging and and they feel good about themselves when they're with me? That that for me is a driving factor. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know under the umbrella under the umbrella of togetherness, you know, um, we have various habits and routines that we use as a team to move forward, but they, but they are always moving forward together. That's the, that's the, you know, they're the parts of the larger sum. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of my team. Like the kids that I work with, it's crazy. Their, their, their love and support of one another <clears throat> is really, it's really inspiring. And, and I love that I get to be a part of that group. Um, and so I would say that that's, you know, the focus, the focus is on togetherness, teamwork, building one another up. And that, that, that is more important than the, the smaller habits and routines. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, totally. I'm sure they really yeah. appreciate you cultivating that group dynamic and, and that environment for them to mm -hmm. learn into. And it really yeah. stands out to me how much this links into your concept of controllability and we can control yeah. who we surround ourselves with and we can control yeah who we go hiking with, even if we yep. can't control what happens to us when we're out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a teacher and as a coach, I've been in so many situations where the leadership is not cultivating that first, right? They're cultivating smaller techniques, but they're not cultivating the bigger whole togetherness. And if you don't have that group of people that are excited to work together and, and are feeling encouraged to do that and given techniques to do that, then uh, the smaller the smaller sort of things that we do don't matter 
because that's what, you know, the greatest human need is to belong, is to feel like we belong. I think Jean Vanier said that, you know, he said, you know, we think that the greatest human need is to be loved. If you ask people to say, oh, I, I want to feel loved, but it's actually um, a confusion of vocabulary. The, the What we really want is to feel like we belong. We want to feel like we belong to another person. We want to feel like we belong to a group. Um, and so that's that's your priority as a, as a leader, in my opinion, is to cultivate that sense that we are together in this. And then everything else is easier. Everything else is is smooth sailing, in my opinion. Yeah, it really seems like that stands out in in the work, the coaching work that you do, and just even the fields of work you find yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you've, I mean, you've led a really varied life. You really value uh, being <laughs> surrounded by others, uh, and you know, you termed use the term togetherness. There, I'm curious: is is there anyone you've been particularly inspired by over the years, and uh, kind of what what about them inspired you? What did you learn from them? So um, I, I guess like in the industry, in the climbing industry, I have people that I like kind of think are cool, yep. but I don't, I don't, I'm not really into like <laughs> idolizing. I don't really have heroes. Um, my wife, my wife is my hero. My wife is my, my source of inspiration. Like yeah. hands down, she is the, from day one, she has been my number one source of, of inspiration, encouragement. Um, the reason I am today and who I am today is absolutely because of her love and support over, over the years. I mean, I was married at 21, <clears throat> so I was married quite young. I've been 18. So in my formative years, you know, uh, she was the one saying, yeah, do that. You can do that. Like, let's do this together. Let's, let's help you, you know, get to where you want to be. And then, and then, uh, I would turn around and say, okay, you know, now it's your turn. Like, what do you want to do? She wants to pursue music. So then I would just work full time and she would pursue music and we would go back and forth, kind of just supporting each other and building careers and, and uh, doing the things that we want to do as a couple. Um, but the, I, yeah, I would, I would not have anything if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Blaze and kind of our relationship, that's, that's the person I look up to and uh, enjoy life with the most <laughs> oh thank you so much for for sharing that and I, I love how many common threads uh are going through this conversation right when we're thinking about relationship building and and what we yeah. can control surrounding ourselves with the the people we want to be surrounded with and who lift us up yeah yeah i mean it's funny because you know I, i'm with so many people now and various fields in the coaching field and the teaching field. I'm with so many young people in their twenties and their focus is career. Their focus is building that life. Um, what are they going to do? You know, what, you know, what money are they going to have? What, what do they, you know, do they want to travel? Do they want to go to university? Do they want to build a career? My whole twenties were about building one relationship. Um, my thirties were about building one relationship. You know, uh, I had careers and, uh, but none of them really, you know, I don't have a million dollars in the bank. Like I never had this big success of owning my own business, anything like that. <clears throat> my relationship success is superior, is, is, is phenomenal. I have the equivalent, right? I have the equivalent of building a multi-billion dollar business, but I have it in a relationship because I spent two decades just focusing on that. So now that I'm in my 40s, I'm, I'm mid 40s. Uh, now I'm starting to think about, okay, you know, I'm my life is good. I'm happy. I'm, I've built this thing, this super successful relationship. Now what? 
well, now I want to, I want to do my other things. So my teaching career lately has been doing well and my coaching career is doing well. And, and I'm, you know, I think I just did it backwards. <laughs> you know, I, I focused on, on a relationship first and for me, it worked out really well. So it's funny. Uh, it's funny how much it changed my perspective and on the world and life. And, and yeah. oh, that's such a wonderful perspective to share with us too. Thank you for, for going through that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So how about advice? Have you ever received any particularly good advice? Um, if so, can I, who, who gave it to you? What did I say? I can think of one person. Um, his name is Brian Cunnington. He was a friend, um, mentor. Uh, he's a professional. Um, well, he's a, he's a professor. He's a professor of, of psychology and, and theology. Uh, older, wiser man, which uh, I've always seemed to like seek out <laughs> older, wiser <laughs> people than me that can teach me about the world. Uh, he taught me about one thing. He taught me a lot of things, but he taught me one thing that stands out. And it, he taught me about anger. And he did it in a way that demystified it for me because, and it changed my life. I mean, for me, anger was something that I struggled with. And it was something that, it was such a complicated, loaded emotion. You know what I mean? Like, where does it come from? Why do, do we get angry? What is it? Um, like the psychological depth of that one thing just it really like made me angry. <laughs> it really made me like, what is this thing that's happening to me? And Brian told me, um, he told me that there's only one reason why human beings get angry. It's like, really? What? There's only one reason why people get angry. He said, picture any reason people get angry. You're driving and somebody hits you with the car and you're on your way to somewhere important. You get super angry, right? You get in a, in a fight with a loved one. And you're and you're arguing and and you know they get super mad at you or upset because they don't feel that you love them and that everything's ruined and you know or your dog pees on or the carpet that you just <laughs> bought you know <clears throat> whatever it is and you get angry why do we get angry brian said that the only reason we get angry the only reason humans get angry is because we want to change something and we can't change it so if you think about any situation where we get angry why are you getting angry? The answer is because you're wanting to change something. And if throughout my life, I've been thinking about that and well, throughout the last 10 years. And, uh, and I realized every time I get angry, it's because I want to change something, but I can't change it. It's already happened, right? So what that leaves us with is the responsibility in the moment to take responsibility for how we respond, right? Like we talked about how we respond and how we, would be how we behave in that situation. And for me, that, that, you know, demystifying anger like that, it just was very freeing. And it, it, uh, it helped me position myself so that when I was getting angry to think, wait a minute, I can't change this thing. It's already happened. So what is going to be my intentional response to this thing? And I have control over that and I can control that. And that, that changed a lot for me. Thank you so much for, for passing that advice down to us. That's one, yeah. what a great insight into, <laughs> Isn't it great? into yeah. our emotions and maybe some of the control that we can have over them. Yeah, absolutely. So how about you've, you've had, obviously, like we talked about a really varied career and clearly you've done a lot of self-work, right? You've done a lot of reflection. You've looked a lot into personal development. Knowing what you know now, yeah. is, is there any advice you'd give your younger self when you're looking back at either your teenage years or your early 20s? Like any, is there any advice you give yourself knowing what you know now? I've been asked this question before and I remember the answer I gave and I remember I didn't like it. In retrospect, I didn't like the answer I gave. 
so I rethought about that question. I thought, you know, why did I say that? Why did I say I would change this or change that? And <clears throat> would I give myself younger advice? I don't think I would. So this, this is my new answer. I don't think I would. And here's why. I'm a believer in process, right? Yeah. So if one leads to two and two leads to three, three, four, five, and you go back like in a time machine or whatever, like, uh, like the movie, The Kid, you know, and you, you talk to your younger <laughs> self. If you go and you change four and you remove two, you end up with a different sum, yeah. right? Your sum, your, your total is different. So then the question actually becomes, do I want to change the sum of my life? And, and the answer is no, I, I don't. I, I don't think I would change anything about my life. And I'll tell you why. Um, when my girls were young, uh, we were having a conversation about what it means to be thankful, right? So what, what does it mean to be a thankful person? And they were, we were talking about all sorts of like, you know, facets of being thankful. But I had an image pop into my head during this time. And I went and I grabbed a big piece of paper <laughs> and I taped it to the TV <clears throat> and I drew a roller coaster, <clears throat> winding and curving with loops and big falls and corkscrews. And, and I drew the, the roller coaster with our family in it. And I said, girls, this is life, right? <clears throat> being thankful is not about being thankful for just the fun parts. You know, when you're going down and you're like, woohoo, you know, that that's not being thankful. You have to be thankful for the crappy parts as well. You know, the boring parts when you're going up the hill and the parts where you are gonna vomit or you do vomit because you're so sick or the scary parts. Thankfulness is about being thankful for the whole ride. So I feel thankful for what I've been through, all the crappy parts, you know, the injuries even, because they're all part of the, the roller coaster and you don't in my opinion you don't get to pick and choose what you're going to be thankful for you're either thankful for life or you're not you know it's uh it really stands out to me how it started with uh, uh, like a butterfly effect analogy and and then it turned into <laughs> a, a really deep piece about gratitude totally totally yeah that's uh <laughs> thank you for again thank you for sharing that that's just like a yeah. fascinating perspective and i think something we can all keep in mind totally yeah, I, I, I've loved that image. It stayed with me forever. Just uh, kind of a, a funny, a funny <laughs> graphic. <laughs> funny, funny, but insightful, right? And accurate. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, totally <clears throat> funny doesn't necessarily mean it lacks funny. the worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So how about the future? What's the future look like for you? You mentioned you're looking to publish some, some kind of existential writing, but how's the future yeah. look like? One year, <laughs> five year, 20 years? What's, what are the plans? John Lennon, what, what, didn't John Lennon say, uh, life is what happens when we're busy making plans, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I hope my life includes some things like uh, traveling. You know, my kids are getting older. I'd, I'd love to travel. I'd love with my wife. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to write. I'd love to publish. Uh, I want to watch my kids become whatever they're becoming. I want to celebrate a 50 year wedding anniversary. Um, <laughs> I'd think my biggest goal for sure in the next however many years is I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. Um, I don't have one ambition with my careers, career, careers, whatever. I think, I think my life, I want it to be, I want my legacy to be as a dad, as a husband. Um, and then maybe I get to do a cool, couple cool things that I want to do as well. But uh, that's my priority. Again. Yeah. Thank you for, I think that stands out for our conversation, but thank you for reinforcing that with us. <laughs> Yeah, it speaks a lot to your Thanks, perspective man. on uh, 
on life and, and philosophy too. Yeah, thanks, man. So um, we chatted a little bit about your support system. We've talked about your, kind of your yeah. family and your fellow coaches at the gym. Um, but I'm curious yeah. to, just before we finish off here, to explore what that support system looks like. Uh, are there any individuals or organizations that, uh, that you kind of want to, want to talk a little bit about? Lots of family, lots of friends, my wife, my kids, but, <clears throat> and lots of uh, companies that I've sort of partnered with in, in my coaching career as well that uh, I would definitely want to shout out to. But there's one in particular, um, now that I, you've given me the opportunity to do so, uh, it's a corporation called the Game Hive or Game Hive, Game Hive Corporation. It's a, it makes a cell phone, cell phone games. They're amazing. Huh. Um, but they're not my support. They're, they've been Indiana's biggest sponsor and the most uh, generous sponsor uh, for the last, I don't know, it's like five or six years. Honestly, to the point where um, Innie and I would not be able to, she would not be able to do what she's done in climbing with traveling the world and attending world cups and world championships and training full time. And she's, you know, she trains full time. There's so much that goes into to that, you know, uh, supporting her time wise, but the amount of money that goes into it is, if I told you, you'd fall over in your <laughs> chair, how much money it costs for her to, to do this full time. Uh, and if it wasn't for Game Hive, we couldn't do it. 100%. We would not be able to afford it. Um, remember, I told you my, my career has been building a relationship, not a business. So, I, I yeah. you know, <laughs> so if it wasn't for this company, Believing in Indy, um, Steve and Mark, if you're out there, thank you so much. <laughs> they've been uh, they've been amazing. So definitely go onto the App Store, download uh, Game Hive Games. Uh, they're an amazing company. Uh, they offer amazing careers, too, if you're a designer or whatever. You should check them out. But that's who I would shout out now that you've gave me the opportunity. <laughs> I never thought of doing that before, but, uh, but yeah, they, they've made a huge difference in, in one of my children's lives. So that means, that means a lot to me. Oh, that sounds like such a impactful and generous contribution from them. It's huge. It's huge, man. It's life-changing, honestly. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how you built that relationship. Were they someone you had an existing connection with? <clears throat> Okay, so I was I was coaching. Uh, I was running an adult training program at a climbing gym, and it was to help uh, people kind of get to the next level. So, if you're at A and you want to get to B, I would build a strategic scaffolding to get you to where you want to go. That's kind of my passion. Yeah. And so I had a group of sixteen uh, adults, uh, women and men, and one of them asked if if, uh, if I could build him a climbing wall at home for his kids. I said, yes. And during the time, the, the, the week there at his house, he, you know, he told me what he did and, uh, and said, Hey, like our company would love to sponsor a young Canadian professional athlete, like your daughter, you know, we've never done that before, but can we sponsor her? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you have no idea what that would do. Like, no matter how much money, like, like a hundred dollars would be huge. And, uh, and they just started giving every year. And it was crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. I've, um, yeah. I've been privileged to sit down and have a lot of these conversations over the last few months with various yeah. sports professionals. And yeah. one thing that's come out in all of them is how small the, the world is in a lot of cases and how valuable yeah. making genuine connections uh, can, can be yeah. in ways yeah. that you can never predict. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so to round us off here, Matt, is there a final piece of advice or a takeaway you want to offer our audience? Any Anything you want to leave us with? I don't know, man. Um, do, uh, do what you love. 
that's what I'd say. Do what you love. Uh, you know, I also, I often have, uh, I read this great paper um, about uh, psychologists that worked with uh, a group of kids. Uh, it was, it was, I think it was, I think it was a study in actually neuroscience and they asked the kids what they want to be when they grow up. And uh, the kids answered ballerina, spaceman, whatever. And, um, and what they realized is that the kids weren't actually answering what they want to be when they grow up because they weren't computing the time, the timeline, what they were answering is what they want to be now. And they did the same study on human on humans because kids aren't humans. They did the same study on adults and they found that the exact same response that when adults say, you know, if someone asks, what do I want to be when I grow up? Well, I'm actually not computing what I want to be when I'm 60. I'm computing. What do I want to do now? Yeah. I think that's a really empowering thing to uh, think about. If uh, when my teens come to me and they say, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to university to go to, or I don't know what I want to do with my career next. I just say, what are you interested in right now? And they'll tell me, I'll say, that's your answer, man. Like, go get that, go get that thing, do whatever it takes to go get that thing. And I promise you in two years, you're going to change your mind and that's okay. Go do the other thing that you're interested in. And I think life is too short to, to not do that, to not follow what you love. And then, Matt, thank you again so much for your time here. This has been uh, so insightful, you would not believe. Um, awesome. Where, where can people connect with you? Where can they follow along your journey, Indiana's journey? Where can they chat to you about coaching, philosophy? Um, you can get hold of me through uh, my website, uh, coachmattchapman.com. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm building that. There's going to be more, uh, more content on there this year. Uh, my Instagram is uh, at Coach Matt Chapman. Um, and then if you're ever in Toronto uh, at Boulder Park, um, I am coaching there when we open. I'll be coaching there uh, every night. I'm either coaching team or I'm working with uh, athletes in various capacities. But um, yeah. Matt, you're, uh, you, you're so busy and I, I really, really appreciate <laughs> the wisdom here. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And congrats on this. This is really exciting. And I love, I love the title. I love the content. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be watching and subscribing. So I'm excited for what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me for that conversation with Matt Chapman. I really appreciate how Matt ties together the theoretical side of coaching with a series of real world examples. If you enjoyed this interview and want to see more content like this, then please take the time to give this video a like and subscribe to the channel. I've included all links mentioned in my conversation with Matt in the description down below. I would highly recommend checking out the video of Indiana at the World Championships, as it's a perfect example of sports psychology in practice. I'm Andre Manzouk, and you've been watching Mountain Mindset. Until next time.